Good afternoon. Welcome to Secret Truths, the inconvenient truth that they don't want you to know about. Welcome and uh, good afternoon, Scott. How are you doing? Good, Mark. I'm excited. Um, we got lots of great stuff to talk about today, and uh, in particular, what's still top of the news is, uh, unfortunately, um, <laughs> a big oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. And one of the interesting things that you mentioned just before we went on the air was the blame game. So Absolutely. why don't we talk about the blame game for a minute? I don't think it really helps matters at all. But uh, let's just kind of get that all kind of straight in our minds before we maybe talk about what we, people should be doing instead of blaming everybody. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, uh, you know, it's. Uh you know, it's Tuesday, the day after Memorial Day weekend here, and, and I pretty much spent the weekend, uh, you know, getting away from it all, and, you know, went and hung out with my friends for a little bit, and I spent a couple of days pulling weeds and mowing the lawn and digging up one of my sprinkler pipes that broke, and, you know, during the winter time when it froze, and so that was all lots of fun, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't really quite keep up with the news over the weekend necessarily, and so the first thing I, you know, I'm in my car this afternoon, and go uh you know go to the store to grab myself a sandwich and you know i like to just you know browse through the different radio stations and you know see what the see what people are up to and what's the what's the hot topics and all that kind of stuff and and it was kind of a, it was kind of amazing to me as i'm listening on the ed schultz show who's you know he generally favors uh favors the left i guess you could say generally speaking and and you know he's, he's pretty intelligent and he's got this collar on and they're they're discussing you know who's to blame for all of this, and and I just couldn't actually I actually couldn't believe it that you've got this huge mess going on right now, and we've got a president that came in and he you know his whole message that got him his whole you know platform was was changed, and yet here they are back to blaming Dick Cheney for the oil spill, and I thought I just I couldn't even believe it. I said, well, freaking Dick Cheney, who the hell cares about Dick Cheney? He is you know he's history. I can't even believe his name made the news again. Right. And so it just kind of got me thinking. I thought, wow, there's there's a lot of people out there that that really believe that, you know, they've, they've been listening to the news or whatever. And, you know, I hear these Republicans, they, they're blaming Obama. He's not responding fast enough. And he's not, you know, he's not doing anything about it. And he's just, you know, his it's, it's, it's basically all his fault. And then I got the whole, you know, all the crowd that's, you know, the other side of the fence, they're all blaming the Republicans about this and how the Republicans in Congress are stonewalling and how the policies that were set up during the previous administration led us to where we're at now. And, and I, you know, I was, I, was pretty, I was pretty surprised that nobody's really talking about BP. You know, right. where, where's, the blame, where's the blame for, uh, for the CEO? I mean, Tony Hayward, could you, I can't believe that this guy still has a job. Well, I understand that uh, he doesn't show his face in the United States uh, too much anymore because he's uh, pretty unpopular. Uh, I can I can well imagine, you know, and with good reason I, I would think. But um, you know, that kind of got me to thinking. I said, okay, well, people aren't really, you know, they're not blaming BP very much on the issue. You know, they're making it this giant political battle or whatever. And, and you know, I guess that's uh, that's how it goes if you're going to listen to a political news show or whatever, you know, that's, you know, that's, ex- that's to be expected that that's what you're going to get. But I, I just really, I guess I really have a problem with, with number one, that BP, 
haven't fired this guy yet. And number two, that BP is even still in control of the cleanup of this mess. You know, after you know, after over a month, you would think that somebody would get a clue and go, "Hey, this isn't really working. Why don't we try and uh, why don't we try something different? Maybe these guys are not the ones that need to be in charge of this thing anymore." Right, right. I think the uh, that's a great question. And the other part of this that I think is really interesting, I, I was thinking of this as you were speaking, actually, mm-hmm. but. Uh, you know, the eyes are all on BP, but I've heard of other companies like uh, Chevron and Exxon and Shell and Esso. And, you know, these guys are all, you know, drilling and stuff too, right? And it just surprises me that we don't hear any, uh, you know, there's no bandwagon, uh, you know, not bandwagon, I mean, uh, wagon train circling of the wagons going on here, right? Like, it would seem to me that if I was uh, Exxon or Chevron or those guys, I'd be saying, you know, here's my uh, my top engineers. They're at your disposal, so together we can prevent this. Because from a industry standpoint, it's oh, not... Oh, this is making... You're right. This is making the whole industry look terrible. Yeah, but you don't hear Esso or, or Chevron or any of these guys saying, listen, here's our top guys... Uh, they're going over there to help out, or they're, you know, here's some, you know, backup plans, or, or I mean, they're just deathly silent, and it's just uh, quite amazing that they've just let BP hang out there all by itself. Yeah, it makes me, it makes you wonder if, uh, you know, what are they? I guess, I guess, let's, let, I, if I put myself in that position, you know, you could, you have, you know, two options and two ways you could go at it. You could. You know, you could be, you could pretty much be the hero. Say, hey, here's the top guys, and and here you go, and our resources at your are at your disposal. You know, coming from the the place of, hey, I understand that that the you know what this is doing to the entire our entire market. You know, we got one one company that's making the rest of the industry look very very bad. Right. And so, so as, a, as you know, if I was a CEO of of a one of the competing companies, you know, I would want to get out there and and try and do some damage control just for the industry. But it would also seem that it would give you pretty good brownie points to, you know, to offer your services and in a time of need, even though you're they're your competitor. That, that seems like wow, that's that would be really good. But then yeah. there's the flip side of the coin. Well, what if what if I'm the CEO of one of these other companies and and you know maybe that's what I'd like to do, but maybe all my all my ducks aren't in a row either. And if I start talking about how we can help the situation, maybe that that's going to shine the spotlight a little bit on me. And then maybe somebody's going to be doing a little bit more investigating about my oil rigs. And gosh forbid, if they didn't, you know, if they weren't up to the to the standards that they need to be, then this whole thing could backfire in my face too. Mm-hmm. So I, I am not sure where they where the facts actually lie with with those guys right now. But it is very interesting how silent they are on this issue. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. So the next, I guess the next step is we're going to try fitting a pipe over the uh, leak and uh, so they can take the, the oil directly up to a ship that's on the surface. And uh, yeah. Yeah, the operation may temporarily increase the flow of oil into the Gulf before it can <laughs> conceal the pipe. The cost of responding to this bill has been close to $1 billion, BP said. Holy wow. smokes. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know that just I I I'm shot you know I'm 
I kind of had a feeling, you know, that they this whole top kill that they were making so much news about last week, you know, it's going to be the top kill. We're going to get this thing sealed. Everything will be go be okay. And I keep seeing their backup plans as far as pumping the golf balls in there and the junk and the tires, and it's just like, man, I, I'm starting to get to the point where I really, I really don't think that, you know, no, I don't even think that they're trying. I think that their their ideas and, and the results of this are, you know, I, I mean, I'm a businessman. Where we come from, Scott, you know, the proof is in the pudding. If if you, you know, if you're in business and you don't make money or or you don't, you know, you don't help customers out, or, you know, all of those kinds of things. It's you know, in life, results are all that's that matters. You know, you don't go out to play the NBA championship or or the Stanley Cup finals, and you know, go say, well, you know, we we tried our best and and it was a good, you know, it was a good game, but darn it, we just didn't win. Like whatever, man. People are freaking out. You know, there's riots in the streets and. You know, especially in Canada, man, where you guys take your hockey seriously. <laughs> I mean, right. winning is everything. That's all that there is. Well, it's two uh, it's two American teams, Philadelphia and Chicago, in the in the finals. So things are going to be pretty calm up here in Canada. They'll be pretty wild in Philadelphia and Chicago, I suspect, though. Yeah, probably just there because I don't think the rest of the country much cares about. It. <laughs> much cares up about here, it. up here in Canada. We're just crying because <laughs> our team's all lost. I uh, know. Well, I guess uh, I guess at least you guys had the Olympics, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Could have been worse. Uh, that's <laughs> for sure. The other thing that's really been in the news is um, the attack on uh, by the Israeli army on um, activists bringing uh, evidently bringing in stuff to the Gaza Strip. When you say stuff, are we talking about like contraband kind of st- weapons and stuff like that? Well, they evi- the, what they were supposed to be bringing in was uh, medicine and uh, uh, supplies for uh, people in the Gaza Strip. And uh, what happened was... Uh, when oh, okay, yeah. It looks like that they had a... Uh, they actually had a... Like a relief, like relief aid, right? That's right. And the Israeli <coughs> army ambushed that or raided it. Wow, I did. Yeah. I, you know, I hadn't even heard about this yet. Yeah, the uh, well, it's it's kind of interesting. I'm, I almost don't know where to start talking about it. Uh, there was a violent anti-Israel uh, demonstration in Paris a couple days ago uh, when the demonstrators tried to break into the Israeli embassy and. Uh, there were nine pro-Gaza activists killed during the uh, storming of the Turkish ship uh, early on Monday morning. So about 1,200 people took part in the demonstration and threw stones at police cordoned off the embassy. And uh, so, you know, those are, that was kind of the reaction that was going on. Um, that was actually wasn't what I was planning on talking about. They, Israel jailed 480 Gaza aid activists um, these are these were people that were captured during its commando strike on a, a Gaza aid convoy, and these ships were in international waters. They were still quite a ways away from uh, Israel when they were uh, attacked, and those detained remain in custody at the southern Israeli prison of Ashdod, while the other forty well, that's four hundred 
487, and then 48 others are, uh, they've been taken to the airport and sent back to their home countries. And uh, they were interrogated by Israeli police uh, yesterday or today. Um, and uh, let's see, there were up to 20 people killed, according to uh, the official Israeli TV, and some 50 others were injured or treated in hospitals. Uh, the UN Security Council convened an emergency session to discuss Israel's, Israel's attack on the flotilla, uh, with most members of the 15-nation body calling for a thorough investigation. There are many Turks among the 700 activists accompanying the six-ship convoy. The international campaign has also included Israelis and Palestinians, as well as Americans and many Europeans. Among them, politicians, a Jewish Holocaust survivor, and a Swedish author. So... Um, so I didn't I didn't realize that Israel actually has a blockade going on. Yeah. And and that that's what was happening is that they were trying to basically run the blockade. I guess so. The it was called the Gaza Freedom Flotilla and they were carrying more than 10,000 tons of humanitarian aid to break the year-long siege of the Gaza Strip which was pushed the coastal sliver on the verge of starvation. So desperate times, desperate measures, uh, all that sort of stuff. And, uh, of course, the Israelis are, are concerned that there would be bombs and uh, guns and ammunition and everything else among those 10,000 tons of supplies. Uh, hard to say, right? Oh, yeah. Seems a little heavy-handed. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm sure there's a whole lot going on behind the scenes that we're really not getting the scoop on because, you know, it just it reminds me of... Um, it reminds me of the movie that I was watching a couple weeks ago called 13 Days, and it was all about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, yeah. And just how delicately Kennedy had to play that whole situation, you know, in terms of, well, do you know, we, if we do this, what's the consequences of it going to be, and how's the perception, you know, how are people going to react uh, based on their perception of, of what's going on here? And be in the position, you know, like, you know, if you're, let's say you're trying to enforce this blockade, and somebody decides that they want to, you know, they're going to break it, they're going to run, run the blockade, and, you know, they're basically calling the bluff and saying, okay, well, you know what, we understand that you have a position of where you stand, and you said you're drawing the line here, and, and you know, we don't necessarily like where you, where you exactly drew that line, so we're going to, you know, we're going to call your bluff, and we're going to push that blockade and and see what you're going to do. And to an extent, you know, like, I kind of... You know, I guess my initial feeling is that, you know, if the blockade is in purpose, you know, and, and is supported by, you know, by the rest of the, the world community or whatever, then, you know, then you got to do what you got to do because everybody knows that this is the blockade line and this is, you know, the consequence that happens if if you're going to violate that. Yeah. But so here's some com comments from uh, people that were there because uh, Israel has started releasing the, uh, the passengers that were on the flotilla, mm -hmm. and a number of them were Greek, Turks, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Issam Zatar, Zatar, Z-A-A-T-A-R, who is a Al Jazeera cameraman, said the following, I was filming, and then he, an Israeli soldier, ran after me with a stun gun 
could not catch me. One of his colleagues hit my hand from behind with a stun gun. My camera fell down. He, began, he ran to crush the camera with his feet. I told him, don't break my camera. If you want the tapes, I'll give them to you. I told him these are media equipment. They had no limits. They used rubber bullets. They used tear gas bombs. It was an unbelievable scene. So from that, it you know doesn't sound like the Israelis figured that these guys were like invaders, right? Right. Uh, you know they they knew they were probably a ragtag bunch of people trying to make a statement. Sure. So Zanin Zubai, Palestinian member of the Knesset, K N E S S E T, which is I believe it's like their parliament, right? Okay. We were expecting the Israeli army to stop us, to prevent us from entering, but surely we didn't expect such a war against us. It was 14 ships which approached us nearly at 4.30 in, in the morning. 14 ships that I could count and one helicopter. Maybe more than 10 soldiers. I couldn't say exactly how many were getting out of the helicopter. On the second floor of the ship, there were just passengers who were journal- journalists, a nurse and organizers of the flotilla who didn't have anything in their hands. After 20 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, there were three dead bodies. It ended at 6 when a voice from the microphone said the ship was controlled by the Israelis. Please enter the rooms. Wow. A former member of the German parliament was there, Norman uh, Pech, P-A-E-C-H. This was not an act of self-defense by the Israeli army, but rather it was completely disproportionate, although we were counting on our ship being blocked and maybe checked. This was a very serious offense. This was a war crime. I personally saw two and a half wooden sticks that were used by activists. We were not prepared in any way to fight. We didn't even consider it. No violence, no resistance, because we knew very well that we would have absolutely no chance against soldiers like this. Yeah, that's really uh, that's really too bad. You know, when they start killing people, that you know, that changes the whole game. Because it's one thing to to stop a ship and make an example out of people. Like I. I well, can, you can I can, I can around, right? that. Yeah, exactly. But you know, when, when these guys, you know, if you got a bunch of guys with machine guns and you got a bunch of guys with sticks, and all the guys with sti- you know, people with the sticks are ending up dead, that uh, that certainly looks very, very bad on the from the outside. So here's what the person steering this particular ship said. His name was Mihailis Grigoropoulos of Greece. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Mihailis. I'm sure I butchered your name twice, the first one and the second one. But he says, I was steering the ship. We saw them, Israeli soldiers, capture another ship in front of us, which was the Turkish passenger ship with more than 500 people on board and heard shots fired. We did not resist at all. We couldn't even if we had wanted to. What could we have done against the commandos who climbed aboard? The only thing some people tried was to delay them from getting to the bridge, forming a human shield. They were fired upon with plastic bullets and were stunned with electric devices. There was great mistreatment after our arrest. We were essentially hostages like animals on the ground. They wouldn't let us use the bathroom, wouldn't give us food or water, and they took video of us despite international conventions banning this. Hmm. Wow. So this definitely gives a... Different. Well, no, I shouldn't even say different. I mean, they were in international waters. I don't believe they entered the Israeli waters. I think there are, um, you know, in any navy would probably tell you there are certain protocols and stuff that you would do to prevent someone from entering your waters if you wanted to, you know, prevent it. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously the people doing this wanted lots of publicity. They got that. Uh, I think that it's another black eye uh, in terms of uh, Israel. 
that they didn't really need. Uh, and it seems like an overreaction uh, to, to the situation. Yeah, and I think it certainly lends a black eye to the United States as well, because, I mean, we certainly support them and give them enough money every single year. And, you know, I mean, we basically finance their entire military. And for them to go out there and, you know, use it in such an aggressive way, I guess, is, you know, make – I see a lot of the news articles right now about the White House wanting to, you know, start an investigation of this incident. And, you know, you know it's like, well, who the, who the heck is really in charge? And, I mean, does anybody know what the hell they're doing anymore? <laughs> I tell you, between the – between the oil spill and the and the political, you know, things that are going on in the world right now, it's like definitely the temperature is heating up. Yeah, yeah, it is, and uh, definitely not in the in the right direction. You would think that there would be, and maybe these these are the sort of things that are required to get you know public uh, opinions, you know, moving people. Uh, willing to, you know, talk about stuff, you know, because, I mean, before this happened, like, I really wasn't aware that uh, Gaza was being blockaded or, you know, had any idea. Yeah, nor was I. Nor was I. So from that perspective, you know, it may have have, uh, done its job. Hopefully it's done its job, so maybe one more step towards peace in that area. On the other hand, uh, you know, it's another example of uh, armies overreacting or military uh, people overreacting. Yeah, and I, you know, I guess that depends on which side of the fence we, uh, you know, <laughs> you live on or whatever, or which, mm-hmm. which side you support. But, I, you know, I, I, I find it, uh, you know, of all, of all the people that I talk to about this subject, you know, they're kind of split down the middle. I don't know too many people. You know, I think a lot of people are are very uh, one side or the other about this topic. And I, and I, it's you know, for, at least for me, you know, I don't feel like I have enough uh, background on it, information, or enough at stake even necessarily to to have such a firm, you know, opinion one side or the other. And and I guess. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess it's one of those things where I, I, I hope that they can, you know, that they can figure it out and, and, and you know, achieve peace over there. But it doesn't seem very, you know, it doesn't seem likely to me. You know, if you just look at the, the generalization of the situation, which is basically you have all these Middle Eastern countries and that are, uh, you know, they they have, you know, one particular religious perspective of of things over there, and then you kind of have this other. Like right smack dab in the middle, a, a complete, complete contrast to that, let's say, and, and and you know with that kind of a setup, I don't necessarily see how it, you know how how that's going to work. To be honest with you, because uh, you know I mean it's just, you know geographically speaking, I don't, I don't you know, I I don't know. That is that's a that's a touchy that's a touchy subject. You know I I, I really don't know where I stand on that one. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Well, to, to give the other side of the story, uh, there were a lot of protests around the world against Israel, but the Israelis were also uh, protesting uh, Turkey and the flotilla. And uh, there were around 500 protesters waving Israeli flags, demonstrating outside the Turkish embassy in Tel Aviv. And 
they, you know, condemned the violent attacks on the Navy commandos by activists. So, you know, from their perspective, they're saying, hey, you know, there was uh, uh, our commandos, were, we were boarding and everything else, and we were being, uh, you know, violently resisted. So, you know, it's, we kind of have two stories, and it's sort of hard to tell what actually happened, I guess, unless you... I haven't had a chance to view any of the news footage on it, but uh, I'm not sure that would... I don't know if that would help or not. Right. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of support in Israel for the activities of of, uh, of the Israeli Navy in this case, or, or the Army in this case. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll see. I guess, you know, we got things heating up with, with uh, sorry, with, the, with Korea, South, North and South Korea. And I'm sure, you know, I, I think... I think I might have heard something or something or another about Iran in the in the recent news and and you know it just God I I I feel like I'm almost part of the Cold War you know I didn't my generation I didn't live through through that time at an age where I was aware of what was really going on but I feel now you know like the danger of of nuclear war is becoming more and more real again to me. And, uh, you know, that scares the hell out of me, to be honest with you. Just, you know, to think about where where this is all heading and, and you know, I you know, I know Obama didn't campaign on, you know, on being a war president or anything like that, like, like George Bush did, but, you know, we're, with us still being in Afghanistan and with still being in Iraq, uh, no, no exit strategy or, or end game or end in sight, to, to my knowledge yet. And yep. with all this, with all this stuff kind of heating up, and of course we're smack, you know, we're still closely associated with Israel, and and all the, you know, the way all of those pieces kind of fit together over there, you know, this is, I know it's kind of, kind of feels like uh, thin ice, you know, that we're walking on, and, and I <laughs> hope that I hope that we can, I hope that, you know, I hope that Obama can, you know, can rise to the occasion and prove to be, you know, the kind of president that he claims. You know, could bring could bring about the change because this is not. You know, I guess I guess if you look at it now that we're one year into the presidency, if you were to ask me, do I feel safer now than I did one year ago? You know, I, I didn't feel very safe with George Bush. Let me I'll, let me just put that out there. <laughs> but but you know, I think I think things are a, a lot worse, and you know, in, in in the political arena for one number one, but also just. Just in general, too. I mean, you know, with you know, I, j- I just got back from Florida, and I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm seeing you know, some of our some of our listeners, and and thank you for all to all of your all of our listeners that were sending us your comments and everything, and to everybody listening around the globe. There, you know, it's it's really it, it's really frustrating when you you know you guys have brought brought awareness to the idea of you know, well, hey, we got all this oil that's out in the middle of the Gulf right now. And aren't we coming up on hurricane season? And what you know, what are going to be the effects of that? How is that going to affect us? That's right. That's a big and, deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I it seems like there's a lot stacking up on the plate. If we end up, you know, we're trying to deal with this massive hill, and if it ends up, you know, reaching the coast along, you know, along Florida and maybe even up the east coast, uh, you know, that's going to certainly keep us occupied. But then to think that we might have some kind of a world conflict going on at the same time. I mean, that's gonna that's gonna really stretch us, stretch the resources thin, and not let alone the nerves of the people. I mean, you know, this is I, I don't know what to say. That's it's I can't even imagine 
if some of the you know some of the things that seem like maybe they kind of might even be likely you know let's say they even get the oil still plugged up right now today if they were to stop it the amount of oil that's actually just sitting in the coast I mean it wouldn't take much it, it's just one hurricane to come along and spew that stuff all over the place and, and make this mess gah, infinitely worse I imagine and, and then to ramp it up and you know have some political you know if we have to go to war at the same time I just I won't I won't know what the heck to think you know, it's just like what 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 do you do in that kind of a situation? You know, where do you where do you put your focus if you're the president? Where do you, you know, what is the most important thing? Because I, you know, I, I you have the argument of well, we got you know political things and you know we can't you know if if we go to war that's the number one important thing. But at the same time, it's like if we go to war and you know the whole freaking all the beaches along the east coast and along the Gulf Coast are all ruined, you know, it's like we're not going to have much left to hide it for. This is not going to be much left to, you know, even, you know, places to live, let alone, you know, worry about fighting about. Right, right. Good points. And certainly, uh, certainly major concerns. And concerns that we're going to continue to explore uh, moving forward, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully they'll get this thing taken care of. You know, in both situations within within the next week, so we can uh, so we can take a break back into something that's a little less uh, doom and gloom, maybe. You know, maybe or or, why, or maybe why don't we you talk know. about the massive flare buildups that are occurring on the sun and and how in 2012 they expect one of these massive killer flares to sweep across and uh, collide with Earth, destroying all life on it. Oh wait! <laughs> oh wait! That's, that's, a, not, that's not less doom and gloom. I love the movie The Knowing, or the uh, I think it was called The Knowing with Nicolas Cage. Uh, right. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you gotta. Yeah, sometimes it makes you wonder whether our species is even worth saving. You know, if there's if there's uh, other other uh, species around the you know around the the galaxy or or whatever. And they have technology to influence and and to intercede on our behalf. Makes you wonder whether they would want to, uh, you know, to to help us out, or whether they, you know, I mean, gosh, I could certainly see the argument for the uh, the perspective of, well, just you know, they're they're killing the planet anyway. Maybe we ought to just help out, help the planet out, and you know, getting rid of them altogether. I, I, I don't I don't know, but it's. Uh, I I would say look at some of the wonderful prose and some of the artwork and statues and the and the architecture when we were on our game that we do and that uh, creativity and and beauty that we do create and also uh, the capacity for love are all things that encourage us to keep on going. We just have a few challenges and we've always had challenges. Absolutely. It sounds, it sounds like it's good to it's good to have an optimi- the optimistic side of, of things, and and you know I'm a I'm a believer in it's myself that uh, that human human beings in the world is generally a good place. Um, you know I kind of come from the idea that we wouldn't have made it through the first Cold War if, if that wasn't the case, and uh, hopefully the hopefully the hopefully the you know it will be reproven again with uh, with the up and coming event. That's right. All right, so you've been listening to Secret Truth. Absolutely, the inconvenient truth exposed. Everything that they don't want you to know about, we're bringing it to you right here. 
can listen to us every week. Visit us at secrettruths.com. And uh, we'll have a whole bunch more information for you guys on, on everything we've been talking about. And, and keep sending us your comments. We sure do appreciate them. And to everybody listening out there, you know, wherever you, wherever you may live, uh, we certainly do appreciate it. And, and uh, keep, up, keep up all the good work and telling your friends and uh, basically keeping, keeping your mind open and helping to, helping to change the world here. You bet. Thanks right. for joining us, everybody. Yep, have a good one.